This episode is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service showing exceptional films from around the globe. Every day, Mubi premieres a new film. From award-winning masterpieces to festival-fresh gems, movies you've been dying to see or ones you've never heard of before, there's always something new to discover. For a limited time only, during the Cannes Film Festival, you can try Mubi for three months for just $1. Till the end of the festival on May 25th, go to mubi.com slash filmcomment to claim the offer. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash filmcomment for 90 days of hand-picked cinema for just $1. The Film Comment Podcast is sponsored by Kino Lorber, presenting a new restoration of The Queen. Decades before Paris is burning, this iconic 1968 documentary introduced audiences to the world of competitive drag. The Queen comes to theaters starting June 28th. Ovid.tv is the best place to stream arthouse titles from all of your favorite film companies. Head over to www.ovid.tv to explore their catalog. Until May 31st, you'll be able to use the coupon code CAN at checkout to sign up and get their monthly subscription for just $3.50 a month for three months. This is the Film Comment Podcast. Uh, my name is Nick Rapold. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Film Comment. And this is another, and I believe the final, episode in our thrilling Can 2019 series. And in what I hope can become a tradition, at least it's two years running now, I think, <laughs> uh, I'm very pleased to be joined by... Manola Dargis. Of the New York Times, uh, obviously. Um, and this was... I guess it was the last year that we first started doing yeah, it, Yeah, right? we okay. talked last year. We were yeah. on a different terrace, but kind of very <laughs> similar view. And, uh, I mean, this is a festival where I think, you know, each year we might hem and haw in one direction or another. But I feel more generally than usual, this is a positively received edition generally. Yeah, every it seems pretty much the consensus uh, that this was a good festival. You know, people were really excited and people use the L word as in loved more so than maybe even last year. I believe the word masterpiece was thrown around perhaps incorrectly or perhaps a little generously. But yeah. <laughs> um, I think by and large, the the critics seem fairly happy. Um, I haven't really been following the business side. So I, I know that there was some Mondo deal for the Terrence Malick movie, A Hidden Life, yeah, that the like newly emboldened and empowered Fox Searchlight, which is now owned by Disney, which will be owning us all soon, um, bought the Terrence Malick for $14 million, which someone thinks might be the record at Cannes. I have no idea. Back, you know, you'd have to look that up. Yeah. I'm really really wondering how they're going to sell it maybe as a kind of follow-up to uh, the sound of music because you know that could work yeah it's it's about as grounded in reality <laughs> exactly. as that film I it's think. squeaky clean yeah <laughs> everything's okay <laughs> <laughs> nothing to see here neither of us were big fans of that movie. yeah yeah but yeah. you've already you've already dug into it i hear um <laughs> yeah and depending who you read on twitter I, I it was either a very nuanced give and take showing how both positions or I was slaughtered or something. Like that. So, <laughs> I um, doubt that you were slaughtered. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know. I just think, that. you know, the Malik <clears throat> fundamentalists are going to just, you know. Yeah. That's a masterpiece, right? Yes, yes. that was apparently. I, I used air quotes there. You used air me. quotes. <laughs> I hope everyone saw those. Um, <laughs> yes, that was the movie that I heard 
to my great surprise, was a masterpiece. Yeah. yeah. You know, to each her own. Well, I'm curious, did you find any movies that you you considered a masterpiece? Or is that something you kind of reserve for a bit I of distance? I don't use the M word yeah. often. I think I've used it, you know, in my like 30 years of writing, I think I've used it a handful of times. I think that that's just, you have to be really careful about that. Yeah. Um, I had a friend I used to argue with and he started uh, actually creating levels of masterpiece, like supreme masterpiece. Supreme masterpiece. <laughs> um, the mo- but I had, I, you know, I had movies that I loved here, certainly, mm-hmm. you know, um, Baccarat uh, by Kleber. Okay, I'm, I'm going to just say right now, I cannot pronounce anyone's name, so please yeah, forgive me, me. But this yeah. is uh, Baccarat by Kleber Mendoza, maybe, Filho, mm-hmm. and Juliano Dornels. And again, I apologize. Uh this was with uh, Pedro Almodovar's uh, *Pain and Glory*, my you know perhaps my two favorite movies mm. here. Um, yeah. I like them both greatly. Um, the Baccarat was just I saw that early. It screened early, which always makes me worried that people are going to for, you know that the jury is going to forget about it <laughs> towards the end. All these many because it feels like we've been here months. Um, yeah, it feels like last year. But it was one of those movies where you just absolutely never knew what was going to happen from from scene to scene, shot to shot. It was just wholly unexpected, funny, serious, political, not self serious. Uh, I just was you know. Uh, almost levitating out of my seat with pleasure. And Pain and Glory is lovely. I mean, I think it's his strongest um, movie in a while. Um, and I think it's just got a this terrific performance from Antonio Banderas. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I actually, those are two of my favorites as well. And yeah, Baccarat was just extraordinary. I read somewhere in an interview where um, he said that one of his favorite, favorite things in a movie are the what, WTF, the what the fuck moments. Uh-huh. And that, that doesn't seem like a movie where he right. was able to sprinkle a fair right. number of those in there. But it's never a movie that ever loses its grip on the material. Right, um, right. You know, and it's never one that either like floats away in, into like, I don't know, self-parody in some way. Which given the material, even though there's kind of a, this revolutionary aspect to it, it could happen. Mm-hmm, uh, there's mm-hmm. also especially because I think there's Udo Kier in it. Well, I was going to say, in the Udo <laughs> Kier factor, which, yeah. you know, has really torpedoed more than one movie, um, uh, actually, he, the control of the of the filmmakers, and this is a, a, the first film, I believe, that um, Mendoza made with uh, Dornell. Dornell is uh, long, not long time, but has been his regular production designer. Right. Um um, I thought he handled the comedy, including there's a kind of, you know, kind of cult kitsch aspect to Udo Kier's, I think, you know, on-screen persona. And it seems weird and it's destabilizing. His presence, I think, is really destabilizing because you can't figure out, because it's a very, he's playing a very kind of scary, serious character, but you can't figure out if you're supposed to laugh. And I think that that, of course, is intentional. I think it's very much yeah. that you're uncertain about the tone and what it is that's happening and you just and that's great that's just part yeah. of the great surprise is this is not a movie that in any way conforms to a kind of uh screenwriting especially american screenwriting template yeah. you know this would be it doesn't have some sort of like very obvious narrative arc that you think oh yeah now this is going to happen and then this is right. going to happen he com- you know they completely defy expectation yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, it's just as it feels almost just as unpredictable as as I don't know some situation like that might be in whatever dystopia that is. Right, right. Um, and and so you have a sense of something that's very unpredictable on a personal level for the people, but also on like a societal level that just 
there could be this sudden fracture or a rupture that's happening. Do we need to talk about what happens in the movie oh, a little um, bit? We, we talked about it a bit, but it's, okay. I guess it's worth recapping, yeah, uh-huh. just because just that was very early on. Um, it's just that it's set in uh, the near future, um, way out in the countryside in Brazil, and... Uh, and water has suddenly become scarce, which mm. is, you know, water is the new oil. It will be very shortly as basically the world spins out of control and dies. Um, anyway, it's <laughs> my mood. Um, and there's a small village there that's just struggling to hold on. And then there are these visitors that appear, and Udukir is part of these visitors, and it gets a uh, little, you know, the most dangerous game, um, yeah. <laughs> kind of little vague, you know, that old movie. Um, yeah, yeah. And... Uh, I also like that it's a kind of intersection of both art film conventions that he doesn't fully embrace, but also a little exploitation. Like, and again, that's part of the mm. instability, but intentional instability of the movie that you can't quite figure out. Oh, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. And it has really fantastic moving camera. They apparently laid down a lot of track, real track uh, for the camera. And it's just fantastic. The camera's just moving all the time. And it's also got one of the better uses of drone yes. uh, footage, uh, or drone imagery rather. And um, uh, because that has become one of uh, really one of my pet peeves, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not just in documentary, but yeah. the kind of overuse and just ill-considered use of drones. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, I was going to make a connection to the Tarantino film just because something about what they, each of them did with those films is, um, I don't know, the Tarantino, there's something there. I don't know exactly. But, I totally agree. Yeah. I think that because he's playing with, because he's also conversant with these different kind of conventions, both yeah. the kind of, you know, art film conventions, um, and also with exploitation cinema, of course, which is a, a you know one of his great loves, but he's not merely doing another exploitation movie. You know, he's very much working in a different kind of idiom, um, and so there's an intersection there that's really interesting, and it's actually an intersection uh, that works within the narrative as well, kind of very uh, self-consciously. Um, the movie I thought it was just going to somehow be about the the Manson murders, and that's somewhat tangential, really, to the central relationship between the two leads are uh, played by Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt, and uh, DiCaprio plays a, a, a TV star who's just kind of spiraling downward and is missing his opportunities, and could be Clint Eastwood, but doesn't seem to be, understand right. that. <laughs> And then Brad Pitt, uh, you know, could have been kind of Steve McQueen, but yeah. is basically just kind of like a dude, yeah. you know. Beach bum without a beach. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's like what the dude turns into right. later on. <laughs> um, but there's an intersection of fiction, nonfiction, art film, um, exploitation. And I think for the most part, he does, uh, Tarantino pulls that off. I mean, there's... I don't love every single thing in the movie. There's some violence at the end that is just seems really quite juvenile um, in its excess, but also shouldn't be surprising. But it doesn't in any way uh, cancel out the rest of the movie. I've mm. heard he's going to recut it maybe and yeah, make it longer. Yeah, I read that too somewhere. Make it longer, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 I'd like to see how that works out at Sony, you yeah. know, and how that <laughs> what, what Sony says has to say about that. Right. What's the pitch for that? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, I did think when I was watching it because there is a sequence where uh, the, the DiCaprio character, I mean, is this a spoiler? It does go to Italy for for a bit, mm-hmm. and then and 
and I thought there would be a sequence where he'd be recreating some sort of right. Um, you know, spaghetti westerns right, or something right. like that. It, it seemed like there was a prime place to like drop in some. No, things. the thing that he really uh, and you know, if you're really worried about spoilers, just stop listening because yeah. seriously, man, this is just not the podcast for you. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Um, no, he's what's kind of surprising and kind of interesting is that he is recreating um, kind of a certain kind of uh, 50s and 60s television. Um, it's the kind of television, you know, like I think Clint Eastwood was in Rawhide, I believe. Was that the old one he was in? Was yeah. it Rawhide? That's right. But yeah, these yeah. kind of black and white westerns, you know, um, kind of uh, full of conventions, but almost like B westerns from the, the 40s, you know. Yeah. Um, and he's really looking at that. And what's also interesting is 1969, is a really important uh, year in terms of American uh, cinema. I mean, it's the year that, you, you know, Easy Rider comes out. Right. And it is, you know, we've already had Bonnie and Clyde, but, you know, if we look at Easy Rider and what a huge, huge hit that was, we were really kind of in the era then of Easy Rider and Raging Bulls. And I was surprised that he doesn't really, he doesn't engage New Hollywood at all. That's completely uninteresting, <laughs> uninteresting to him. You that know, is he is really... Way dealing with the kind of guys who are not cool enough for new Hollywood in some right. ways, you know, yeah. these kind of more marginal figures. Yeah. He kind of, yeah, he doesn't want to follow those, those rebels down that path. He wants to follow even more marginal yeah. <laughs> than that. Yeah, absolutely. Which is kind of interesting, but that fits with his interest in people like Monty Hellman and yeah. even you know, yeah. Jack Hill and other people. So yeah. and kind of interesting. Yeah. And I, I don't know, not, not to read too much into things, but it is kind of interesting to imagine two characters like this. And just because, it's hard for me to grasp how ubiquitous those like 50s TV westerns were mm -hmm. in the imagination mm -hmm. that I'm, they're just all over TV. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if like if you read a great critic like Dave Kerr, that's just something that really is part of, of their like cultural sure. memory. And that's something that I think one forgets in a way. Um, well, right. I mean, I think it's a, you know, for those of us who are older, um, you know, who watched a lot of television when we were younger. I wasn't actually allowed to watch most uh, kind of commercial televisions, but I did watch it when I was like, you know, certainly later when I was babysitting, but I would see TV and it was just all, you know, bonanza, you know, yeah. just, so I'm you just, did watch some yeah, oh, some okay, of that okay, stuff. Yeah. Or, or, um, the big Valley, uh, okay. you know, which was a, like one of the most boring shows on the face of the planet. I mean, it was like staggering. It was one of those shows where the, the credits were much more interesting and had like some like kind of really grabby, yeah. uh, you know, music and a really kind of cool intro, like in Bonanza, the same thing that the brothers would all write in. And then there would be the fucking boring, sorry, but um, <laughs> show. But, you know, I think it's a continuation. I mean, we've been yeah. we've had Westerns in American cinema from the very, you know, the, the nearly the start. And it just in every decade, you have this kind of reconstitution of the Western and it's on TV. And then kids growing up with television, it, that's what it, that it was just on because they had, you know, the, the they had bought, you know, the TV um, studios had all the old catalog, you know, the old movie catalogs, the yeah. cheap stuff. So. Yeah. Yeah, just yeah. And then there were the original shows, of course. Right, right. So right, it wasn't, right. you know, so like there's actually in the movie uh, a poster for Roy Rogers, and I believe that Tarantino really loves Roy Rogers, you know, <laughs> movies, you know, to to each yeah. his and her own. Yeah, for some reason I have, I have a flashback to a, a version of Dream On that's that's Tarantino. Uh -huh. right? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I have to ask, since you know, not not all of us get to spend this time with with uh, those actors, but you you did interview both. Yes, um, Leo DiCaprio. I and did. Brad I did. So, <laughs> what kind of interview experience was that? I mean, what, how was it? Well, okay, so. One of the things here at Cannes is that Cannes is for some of the movie companies uh, 
for someone, you know, for, for a company like um, Sony, it's a junket. And so they use Once Upon a Time in Hollywood to launch the movie internationally because there are thousands of journalists from all over the world. And so it really turns into a huge junket, just like we have in, in the United States. But um, the day that I interviewed uh, DiCaprio and Pitt, um, it was really mainly international press. So, and they had, uh, Sony had taken over most of the seventh floor of the of the Carlton, one of the big, really expensive hotels. I mean, so we're talking a lot of money, right? <laughs> and these are, I find them really fascinating because they're really foreign. I don't go on junkets. I don't participate in round tables, but I find the whole kind of military <laughs> aspect of it really fascinating. Kind of <laughs> yeah, no, but it's like, there, there's so many, they're like, this army of very nervous looking publicists, you know, and marketing and PR people just like, and they have, there's some of them are carrying, uh, you know, these clipboards with these very detailed and there are people sometimes they're doing, um, I interviewed Maddie Diop. I think she did 70 interviews while she was here. She's a director of Atlantic. So people are doing scores and scores yeah. of interviews. And sometimes you, you, you know, I, so I will occasionally do an interview with somebody if I think it could be potentially entertaining. So like I did a Michael Douglas, I even forget why, I would think oh, Wall really? Street 2 maybe or something. And I had like my 20 minutes with, with Michael Douglas, yeah. you know, just because like, why not? That's, you know, that's basically my feeling is like, why not? Yeah. Um, and so uh, I interviewed, I've interviewed Tarantino a lot and I didn't want to interview him because I may end up reviewing the movie and I just, I just wanted a little distance. Um, so I interviewed Pitt and DiCaprio and I was given 20 minutes and so you know you go in there and I was escorted by like several publicists who you know I'd had to like check in and I was I was basically I like I had a publicist hovering at or next to me the whole time I had to wait a while and I went in and Pitt was extremely warm and very gracious and yes I know they're actors and it's a, you know this is performative obviously but actually he was very nice and very pleasant and DiCaprio was much more guarded he might have read some of my reviews of his work. I don't know, though I've I've warmed up to him over the years. Um, and uh, they sat on a couch, uh, and you know, I just was very focused because I'm in the room with these two famous right. people, and let me just let them talk. And they actually had a nice conversation. Yeah, I, I really enjoy that. Oh, interview. good. <laughs> no, because because you have these very specific questions, and then it just seems they just start flowing. Yeah, no, and I think we yeah. could have. They extended the the interview a couple times, uh, which was really nice. The the, the two guys, and uh, which was starting to freak the publicists out, and then. <laughs> And then, like, the publicist just basically stormed in, like, en masse. It wasn't just, like, one person nervously tapping on the door. It was just, like, they were like, no, we got to go on. And I did not want to extend it any further because I didn't want to be the asshole who's throwing everyone else off their, their time, you know. So I'd already gobbled up 27 minutes, you know. Like, I'd gone over seven minutes. But I thought what was really interesting to me, my favorite part of, it, of the interview, in a way, was... DiCaprio making the connection between Scorsese and Tarantino and kind of putting yeah. them together yeah. as as a certain kind of movie lover turned movie director and what the movies meant to them as children and, you know, and how the movies became. I mean, I really like because both clearly Pitt and DiCaprio were on the same wavelength and they were like interrupting each other yeah, like and yeah, and yeah. kind of finishing each other's sentences like they were both like oh yeah oh yeah this is what it is you know and they just um they just they'd obviously given some thought to what 
you know, what kind of person Tarantino is. Yeah. But I like that DiCaprio <laughs> connected it to Scorsese, which yeah, was interesting. That was interesting, yeah. And I mean, in a way that also is, it, it also serves to, I mean, legitimize him a little because, I mean, uh, uh, Tarantino, part of the knock you know, has always been kind of a, a kid in the in the in the in the playpen with right. all the movies he's seen and, right. and here's all right. the movies I've seen. Right. And, um, and this is a movie just for me never felt like that. And, uh-huh. and then and that was just kind of kind of wonderful. Um, and it's not that he's never like done that before. Um, and hasn't even know it's been something that's bothered me when he did. But uh, it can just feel like you're eating candy. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. Know, when it's like yeah. that. And and this movie never never did. I don't want to use the word maturity because that almost seems condescending. No, but, no, no. I, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't use maturity. But I there was a. I think one of the things that was surprising to me was that it, it felt the most I don't know emotionally engaged movie. Yeah. You know. I mean, I really hated the Hateful Eight. I just really. Oh God! I'd I kind think, of repressed that. Yeah, yeah, I actually didn't finish watching the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was a lot of it. it was there like was a lot of it, but, but I was point? just so fucking bored, man. I was just, I just could not deal with it. No, I, I mean, it was, it was just like I was bored. And, yeah, yeah. And it felt like some, it was just like some sort of like wanking exercise. I just couldn't. Yeah. I couldn't get into it, and I'm not, I've not been a fan of the last two. I do think yeah. it's interesting that. For whatever reasons, the last, you know, he's been doing period movies. Yeah. Which is yeah, and, something and, yeah. kind of interesting. And even and ones that are, are kind of rewriting the record in uh-huh. each of their own mm-hmm. ways. That, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and which is a curious thing to do. I mean, I don't know if that's coming out of an impulse to somehow engage with like American history and that's how he would do it. That or? seems very ambitious <laughs> or, you know, but I don't know why. I, know. I think it's, yeah. uh, or is it, you know... Is he actually just revisiting favorite genres? You know, you know the him. the western or, yeah. I mean, the Django's interesting and Django in this movie have some things in common that when the movie comes out we can you yes. know that right. we you know talk about more. We right. won't spoil. Yeah, we won't do that. Even though I hate the whole spoiler, spoiler tyranny. Tyranny. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. It is a tyranny. While the masters of international cinema grace the closet, movie brings the best of can to you. This month, stream highlights from the festival's past with movie's annual Cannes Takeover series. This year's impressive lineup includes Palme d'Or winner Four Months, Three Weeks, and Two Days, as well as Amores Perros from this year's jury president Alejandro González Iñárritu, plus career bests from Cannes heavyweights Gus Van Sant, Hirokazu Koreeda, Takeshi Miike, the Darden brothers, and many more. Plus, if you sign up during the festival, you'll get three months for just one dollar. From now until May 25th, go to movie.com slash film comment to claim the offer. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash film comment for 90 days of great cinema for just $1. The Film Comment podcast is sponsored by Kino Lorber, presenting a new restoration of Frank Simon's The Queen. Decades before RuPaul's Drag Race and Paris is Burning, this groundbreaking 1968 documentary introduced audiences to the world of competitive drag and features LGBT icons and activists like Flawless Sabrina, Crystal Labeja, Andy Warhol, and Edie Sedgwick. Writing for the Chicago Sun-Times, Roger Eber called it a gutsy, funny, really very moving documentary. The Queen opens June 28th at IFC Center in New York before expanding to select cities. Ovid.tv adds new films to their catalog every two weeks. Recent additions include Claire Denis' shocker, Trouble Every Day, Philippe Garel's romantic drama, In the Shadow of Women, and Chantal Ackerman's Joseph Conrad adaptation, Allmayer's Folly. Through the month of May, listeners can head over to ovid.tv, that's O-V-I-D dot TV, and use the coupon code CAN at checkout to get access for just $3.50 a month for three months. I wonder uh, if 
if it would be perverse if we pivoted <laughs> from this to maybe some of the worst <laughs> of the festival. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Just what, is, what was your worst? What was your... Well, I, again, I, like, it's hard for me to say because I, I walked out, but like Mechtube. The, mm-hmm. the, the uh, Abdel Latif Kachich. Uh, Full title, Mektoub, My oh, Love, Intermezzo. Yes. <laughs> uh, I, I, yes. I stayed so that I could hate that movie in print. <laughs> I literally See, that's, you have fucking that right. stayed for three and a half hours because I, want, cause I, I was like, oh my God, this is awful. But I couldn't write about it if I walked. You know, so right. I had yep. to stay. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. Like, I, I don't know that I have the right to say much. I guess I can say why I left, maybe. No, I think that's really good. You should, yeah. yeah. Uh, why I left was just basically I could see no way this was going to turn into a good movie. <laughs> and I was there for about an, an hour and a half. So that meant there was a half hour where it's a kind of a beach, just hangout scene with, with a sort of a family and friends who, you know, mainly women mainly applying women lotion to, to their eat, lovely bodies. <laughs> Bodies. Jiggling their breasts. Like, I have to say, as someone who has breasts, that watching this woman uh, rearrange her breasts in her bathing suit, I'm like, yeah, that always happens on the beach. <laughs> and then bending over to the camera yeah. was there, just <laughs> hilarious. It was a lot know? of bending over. So yeah, much I mean, bending over. It could have just been on, a, on a dime turned into like a comedy. Uh, uh, it, it was, was ridiculous. It, it, it quickly piv- but, it quickly spiraled into self parody, yeah, though. Yeah, you know? I for mean, sure. And so you have a whole half hour of that, just so you get. The- you left after the beach scene and lo- and, and, an, and in, yeah. in the club scene. An hour into the club scene, so I hadn't yet wow. seen the sex scene. Okay. Maybe it was even an hour and a half because I don't even think that, right. that that scene has happened then. Right. And it was, and I'm really glad you said this. I'm glad that you, <laughs> you, you you took took the hit for all of us <laughs> because I was just struck by how bad the filmmaking was. In oh there. my lord! Like there was no rhyme or reason to 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 what I mean. I hate to be like devil's advocate, could potentially be an interesting thing like tracking the like glances back and forth, whatever, the way dancing can be something that's like fun, but also can be like a, you're making fun of yourself or then it's sexual. I don't know. Not that any events in there, but I was just trying to rationalize my sitting there for any like right. time in addition to just how ridiculous the continuous, just obsessive and, you know, creepazoid focus was on, on, on butts as people have gone on i know it's really <laughs> to, been led to yeah, the pun city yeah, man honorific yeah, yeah, exactly. it's, it's yeah people he needed, bottomed out you know <laughs> people like, needed the release um but yeah i just i was like there i don't like how does a movie recover from like an hour that is just straight crap you know i couldn't see that so i will never write about this movie <laughs> i don't even know if it will ever open but so i'm going to give you a little bit Point. of my theory about what so as i was watching it and as the camera, and it's, let me just say, when we're talking about the cameras up people's butts, we're talking about the cameras up people's butts. The camera is pointing up, pointing at, people are, people, women are leaning over, they're twerking, they're dancing, they're gyrating. They're at, so they're at this club. There's not enough smoke. It's interesting because it's supposed to be set in the uh, oh, yeah, early 90s true. and occasionally someone smokes. But in the early 90s, you wouldn't be able to see anyone. There'd be so yeah. much smoke. So that was completely non- nonsense. Also, was there that much twerking in the early 90s? Um, I actually did I look up twerking because I'm so old that I was like, <laughs> let me look up the history of twerking. And yes, indeed. Oh, really? Uh, okay. Yes. Yeah, so it's that, that was actually all right. So then I just was thinking, okay, so what is this about? You know, what is, 
And I thought, is he interested in the expression of female pleasure? Is he interested in the, the kind of like you, the release that you're young and you're, you know, you've got all this energy and sexual energy and you're just this kind of, you know, uh, expression of, is he interested in just female beauty? Fine. But what was, what graded on me uh, pretty quickly is it, I didn't feel like these women were, A, they were not interesting characters, and he wasn't actually interested in their interior lives at all. Um, there's some really banal discussions every so often. You know, there's a lot of dancing, 20 minutes at a time, and then some banal conversations. Uh, you know, I'm not a fan of uh, blue is the warmest color, but at least he is actually interested in her interior life, you know, and, and her relationship yeah. with her lover. And there is an attempt to not just, you know, ogle that woman's body, you know, their, their body, the female body, but actually get a sense of what this human being is. And yeah this character. Um, so I was really confused, but it really what made me start to think, particularly when we get to the bathroom scene, which is 20 minutes of oral sex with a guy going down on a woman. Mm -hmm. And he keeps his clothes on. She takes her uh, bottoms off. And so she's basically in sneakers and a top. And, you know, it, it's it's full on. It's mm -hmm. full on, uh, very explicit uh, for 20 minutes. And throughout the scene, so... You know, and I, I'm not anti-pornography, man. Like, whatever rocks your boat, floats your boat. It's okay. Um, but what is the porno What is it in service to? And whose point of view is being advanced? And whose pleasure is at stake? Right. And really, what I was thinking a lot about was Linda Williams's, uh, the scholar Linda Williams's critique of hardcore pornography, in terms of what is what you know the certain kind of conventions of pornography, which include the close-ups of genitalia, and like what that is, and like how the money shot functions. And the money shot is a kind of visible evidence of pleasure. And the problem, quote unquote with women for male pornographers is that there is no such kind of parallel or equivalent uh, uh, expression of pleasure. You know, female orgasm expresses itself quite differently, though I have seen some write on uh, lesbian porn where there's a lot of squirting going on and mm -hmm. you know, that's, a, and that not just lesbian porn, but that happens. But right. generally speaking, when you're talking about mainstream porn, you know, a couple is screwing, the guy whips out his dick and you know, comes on some part of the woman's body. and you know, she has an entire really interesting argument, very persuasive, especially if you watched a lot of porn, which I have under the uh, aegis of scholarship. Um, and as I was watching this, it just reminded me of this display. It's as if he's trying to, as the camera kind of keeps going, looking at her body parts and all the female body, to try to discover something, to try to, no, I, and I'm, I'm actually, maybe I'm giving him more credit but I do think that that this obsessive compulsive return to female asses and for the 20 minutes of the, the display of this woman's you know vulva is just really about knowledge mm. and a kind of desire to know or to find the hidden and it's also weird because at 20 minutes she doesn't seem to come which I thought was really interesting you missed it so but <laughs> I didn't you know she's just at one point just says stop you know, so there's a lot going on, but you know, I don't really even want to put him on the couch or like try to understand. I'm not, that's not interesting to me, but yeah. I was really trying to understand it structurally. Like what is sure, this yeah. compulsion that you're basically, you know, at some points when women are, 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 are gyrating and they're, they're moving up and down, kind of really pumping. I just thought he's fucking them with the camera. That's what I thought. Mm -hmm. And I thought that that was really, that's the most interesting thing I have to say about this movie. <laughs> 
really <laughs> no i mean that's that's yeah more than i i could have extracted for my my fun portion. yeah but i watched all three and a half hours man <laughs> so you know i and i did think about it a lot and because i'm a big yeah. fan of linda williams and that hardcore yeah. was such an important book for me you know yeah. i was thinking a lot about that yeah i mean the, what little i could glean was just some idea of also just more some just in a simplistic way like somehow recentering like he was going to find the energy of the world if he yeah. was just, you know, that sort of myst almost mystical thing to it. That's actually funny because what is that painting? Uh, oh, The Origin of the World. Yeah, exactly, which is a, a really extremely beautiful. I cannot remember. I'm so embarrassed. Uh, the painter. The sea, right? Corbet? Is it Corbet? So. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, which is a, a beautiful uh, and not just a very beautiful close-up painted image mm -hmm. of a woman's... Um, you know genitalia like yeah. well actually i think it's she's i don't think she's not open-legged at all it's much more discreet yeah, she's just but, sort of reclining yeah she's reclining but instead of seeing her in profiles you might yeah another sort of right right it's not an otolisk yeah 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 yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah, no, that's that was a very yeah. nice connection you just made. I, I, I don't know if I think you. No, no, I think you. I think you, like, I think you were just, uh, <laughs> you know, but uh, I do think yeah. I. I think it's about. I think for it felt like a kind of obsessive compulsive. Desire, for, you know, for knowledge. Mm. I also just think you know he's just gone off the deep end because he's yeah. kind of left you know a kind of certain filmmaking that he did and he was very successful with his first movies and he just seems like obsessed with porn i mean this and again only 20 minutes can be maybe construed as pornography but i it's just you know he's obsessed with just watching women in this certain kind of way i mean at yeah. some points in the sex scene the camera is is right next to the dude's head you know so it's very yeah. clearly not about it's he's right. the identification of the camera with the male point of view is very consistent throughout yeah yeah, yeah. and 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 also, I think maybe it was uh, in Cal Buchanan's article. He points out that later, when when the man, one of the men, like gets up naked from, you you don't they cut away. Lest they cut you away. See him. No, and that yeah. shot, that entire scene, that's in, that's the last section. It's very short. It opens with a woman reclining with her her very lovely behind in the center of the frame. And I just got to say, when Blue is a Warmer's Color came out, <laughs> I already knew he was a butt man. You know, I wrote about it. I was like, because, you know, in so many shots in that movie, uh, the uh, you know, the women's asses right, were centered. Right. And, and you know, that's fine. You know, again, you're you're an ass man or an, an, an ass woman, by all means. But in terms of representation, I, I feel like, you know, we have to hold... We have to actually kind of ask what's going on. Yes, I, I agree. Well, again, thanks for doing the research uh, with this film. I mean, it's, it's yeah, it's, I mean, having a film like this in the competition, though, it, it does like, you know, not that we have to get into like the competition politics and all that kind of discussion, but it's like, really, this takes up a slot? Well, that's the infuriating thing, right? Yeah. Because, you know, this could have played out of competition. It yeah. could have been, okay, we're going to show it. But it took one of the very, you know, there's only 21 slots this right. year. And yeah. this is the world's most prestigious film festival. This is a festival that has had a historic problem with women uh, that is making some attempts to rectify it. And this is a pretty freaking sexist movie. I just yeah. is, you know, I mean, I think it's interesting to think about actually, but, um, but not too long, but, uh, <laughs> uh, so it just was a drag, you know, yeah. it's like, come on, man, really? So what that means is 
either this is what Terry, you know, this is what the programmers really like <laughs> or yeah. that the sales, you know, company, you know, insisted that they program it. Like, who knows? There's all sorts of backroom deals that happen all the time where yeah. we'll give you this movie, but you have to take this movie. Right. And also he won the palm. So it may just be like, that's the thing. Yeah. You know, he's our guy and we, you know, we stand by him. Yeah. That the kind of maintaining the universe of there. But I still yeah. can't believe I've heard that that it was Cannes that forced uh, him to cut it from four hours to three and a half. Oh, yeah, yeah. and that it was a, yet another sex scene or yeah, something? Yeah, I think what I've heard is it was a menage a trois that was cut, you know. Well, that would have clarified everything. <laughs> it would have made it oh, so much sense. <laughs> that would have made it a masterpiece. Um, well, yes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's, it's. It was, I'm sorry we had to talk about that, I guess, but yeah. that is a film we had not talked about at all, yeah. so that yeah, was yeah, that yeah. we had to cover yeah. at some point. Um, maybe to, like, maybe I'll rectify the balance a little, we can talk about a small film just uh -huh. quickly. Um, I know one film that I missed, actually, but I think you saw it was Pepicha. Uh-huh, Pepicha, you're, you're yeah. You're a fan of it? You yeah, I did. Yeah. I liked it. It's, um, it is uh, an uneven movie, and not every single but one of the things I like about it is it's a female friendship movie in part. Um, it is set in 1990s um, uh, during the Algerian Civil War, which dragged on for more than a decade. And it centers on a young woman who is a student uh, of fashion. And she uh, studies and lives at a school with a bunch of other women. And she and her best friend like to go out clubbing. Um, but as that's happening, uh, fundamentalists are starting to kind of tighten the, the noose, basically, and putting up uh, ads, not ads, but posters telling women how to dress, that they need to cover themselves. And there are some really, you know, really scary, potent scenes, um, including of women who are in head to toe black, including black gloves, coming in and attacking a professor in the middle of school. And and one of the things I like, it's, it's not just men who are telling women uh, how to behave and that they are loose women. It's also other women, which right, I think right. is... So things are getting worse and worse. In fact, the school, there's now a, a wall is being built around the school to kind of seemingly to shut the women up, you know, to like literally enclose them kind of in a kind of convent like situation. So they don't they don't go out. Um, and our 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 girl is rebelling, rebelling, rebelling. She's about 19, I think. Um, there's a great scene, though, where she goes and visits her mom and she's. She's with her sister, who's a journalist, um, and they're talking, and her mom explains how Algerian women during the, the revolution um, to free them, uh, during the Algerian, uh, when they were uh, fighting the French to free Algeria, that women would sneak, and we've seen this in Battle of Algiers, would sneak um, weapons under, it's called a haik, which is a traditional, H-A-I-K, it's a traditional white garment that women wear, and they would hide it underneath, and that's how they would sneak in, wow. you know. And the great poignancy is that here women actually helped free Algeria from their colonial uh, oppressors and now are in turn being oppressed by religious fundamentalism. And, you know, people, I believe that the, there's a really violent thing that happens uh, and some, I know at least one uh, reviewer took issue with and says, you know, that didn't actually happen historically, mm. but it works narratively. So, and okay. she's not... She's not saying that this is a documentary, you know, it's a fiction she's kind of taking off. I thought it was really good and I yeah. I really liked the intimacy of friendships among women, some of whom cover their heads and some who don't. And that was actually something I saw in a couple movies which I really like guys. I think sometimes 
Western representation can kind of make, uh, you know, women, uh, certainly Arab women, as all being one type of woman. And we have this variety of different women, different Algerian women, some who who are very modest and cover their hairs and they don't go clubbing and others who do. And yet they have this really lovely intimacy. And I saw that in a few movies, which I yeah, liked. I, I saw that too. I was, when you said that, I was trying to remember what the movie was. And Atlantics is another one Atlantics. that's set in Senegal, but it's Muslim population. Right. And we see both women who have their wear headscarves and who don't, but they all hang out. Yeah. You yeah. Know? And it's the same as the, the film that's about the, the, um, shop or the like crepe shop oh yeah the, the baker the, the baker, baker yeah, yeah, yeah um which is called adam adam okay right yeah. and it's very similar as well yeah. where you have different women who have these friendships um yeah. which is really nice it was really yeah. it was good um i think we're about the end of, of our time on this so i don't know if you have any final thoughts we're about to head into the 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 prizes to, to see the, the awarding of the prizes uh, I, this is one case where I don't know that people know what's really going to happen at all. No, it seems really wide but, out and there. And for a good reason. Yeah, no, no, because there's been in a lot of strong, a lot of strong movies. Um, yeah. And as also a reminder, what the critics like has nothing to yeah. do with what's <laughs> going to win. You know, the yeah. jury is really uh, completely separate from everyone. And they make their own decisions, and they often make the critics insane. You know, <laughs> they're comprised of filmmakers and, and actors, and I guess sometimes producers and others. But so yeah, and, and what no, comes out of that mix? And who knows? And you know, and it's also it's this is an interesting one because it does have a couple of different directors. And I'm just curious, like how Inaritu, who is the jury head, right, yeah. like how it's going to work with uh, Alicia Rocker and uh, Kelly Reichardt. Yeah. I would have loved to been in the room yeah. during some of those discussions. So we'll yeah. see what. Uh, what they came up with yeah it should be interesting uh well i, th I think we've we've covered quite a bit um and we're all on our last legs or at least i am <laughs> <laughs> but uh thank you again so much for taking the time i love talking with you and thank you for having me on all right same time next year yeah you bye. bet okay <laughs> all right. bye bye, bye, -bye. <laughs> this episode of the film comment podcast was sponsored by Mubi. With Mubi, each and every film is hand-selected. It's like your own personal film festival, streaming anytime, anywhere. Dive into Mubi's can takeover by heading to mubi.com slash filmcomment. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash filmcomment to get three months for just $1 until May 25th. The Film Comment Podcast is sponsored by Kino Lorber, presenting a new restoration of The Queen. Decades before Paris is burning, this iconic 1968 documentary introduced audiences to the world of competitive drag. The Queen comes to theaters starting June 28th. Last year at Cannes, documentarian Wang Bing debuted Dead Souls, an epic oral history account that Variety called Explosive. You can stream Dead Souls and five of Wang Bing's other films, including Bitter Money, on www.ovid.tv. You've been listening to the Film Comment Podcast with music by Greg Einge. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Film Comment is a bi-monthly magazine published by the Film Society of Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has featured in-depth features, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com to purchase a print or digital subscription to Film Comment or check out our app, available on Android, iOS, or Kindle.